Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right, right here, here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today's episode is all about the discussion of tabletop games. Well, digital implementations of those physical, nougaty, wonderful things. Uh, we play a lot of games digitally, Jake and I do, and they've really shifted. Doing this has really shifted how he and I think about games. So today we're going to try to explore the virtues and perils of digital play and also tease out how the, playing so many games digitally over the course of the past few years has really impacted how we think about games. Yeah, I think this will be a great discussion and probably offer some important insights just about the way that we are coming to a lot of the games uh, that we cover on this show. So I think great context there for all of our game discussions previously and to come in the future. And speaking of discussions to come in the future, for all of our pre-planners out there, the community of players who play games along with us to prepare for episodes coming up, I want to let you all know that next week we're going to be covering Alexander Pfister's Great Western Trail. And then the week after that, it's a big one. We're going to be covering Reiner Kinesia's Tigris and Euphrates. I've been doing a lot of research for that episode. Uh, I know we're very excited to talk about both of these games. So we just invite all of you to, to prepare a little bit yourself. Both these games are an alpha on Board Game Arena. So if you have alpha access, you can play them there. Uh, or of course, you could play them physically. Though in the spirit of playing digitally, if you're looking for people to play these games with, maybe check out our Discord. If by, by research, do you mean just smashing me over and over and over? <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> I'm also getting doing research by getting smashed over and over and over by players in our Discord. But I, I actually have been delving into a bunch of like old interview content that I found. Very cool. We'll go into it in the episode. Yeah, it'll both of those will be fun ones. I think both big ones. One other thing we wanted to do before we really kick off the show and get into the meat of the discussion is we always like to take a moment uh, every few months to read off some reviews from people who have taken the time to just support this decision space by reviewing the show either on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts i know spotify recently added the ability to do so uh, so jake and i just want to say thank you reviewing the show really is one of the ways that you can support decision space and help get it out there for others to discover and you might not realize or even know this i certainly didn't before jake and i started the podcast but reviews really increase the visibility of the podcast on a whole bunch of different platforms um so if you have a spare few minutes and you want to go and give us a, a review ideally five stars that would be amazing and in the interest of a few people who have done that already we're going to read a few of those out perfect i'll, I'll read first so this, this review is from Sad Pages via Apple Podcasts, and it is titled Needed Niche. Sad Pages gave us five stars and said, this is the first podcast that I have found that is devoted to decision making in board games. I recommend for anyone interested in game design or just the modern board game hobby, exclamation point. Thank you so much for those kind words. I love that we're a needed niche and we have focus, but we also have broad appeal. We also have broad appeal, which I, I th that's what we aspire to do on the show. We're focused, so, but broad. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Sad Pages. Uh, I'm going to read one from Indoor next. Indoor uh, is awesome member of the Decision Space community who says, this is titled, If Ludology and the Longview Had a Baby. It's as if Ludology and the Longview had a baby that went to school in a book club. 
excellent successor to two great podcasts and well worth a listen, both for the in-depth game discussions and for the what we talk about episodes. Also great and active Discord community. Thank you so much, Ender, and thanks for being an awesome part of our Discord community. Oh, and Ender gave us five stars from the Netherlands. Thank you. One final review. This one comes from Loki37 via Apple Podcasts. Loki is also an active member of our Discord community. And Loki titled their review, A Thoughtful Space, and gave us five stars. A great podcast that takes a different, both thoughtful and thought-provoking approach to board games. The enthusiastic hosts explore the inner workings of games and what they think make for great or not games through the lens of the decisions those games have you making. The games they consider are wide ranging and varied with most shows selecting a single game and diving deep into it. Their show is not a strategy guide to or a review of the game, but a thoughtful space where you are encouraged to think about the game, which they combine with a fantastic feature of pre-planning the featured game so you can dust off your copy or fire up a digital implementation or website to play the game in advance so you come to sh- the show with the game fresh in your mind. Love it. Thank you, Loki. <laughs> no tricks here. <laughs> so thank you all so much you know, for those reviews. If you can follow suit, we will be pleased to read your review off the next time we get around to uh, capturing a few of those for our audience. Awesome. I think let's get into it, Jake. So we're talking about digital play today. It's going to be our broad net that we're casting. So maybe at the top of the show, I thought it'd be helpful to lay out what all are we encompassing in this discussion? What are we defining as digital play? Digital play could mean for playing on board game websites like uh, Board Game Arena, Yukata, where you can play both real time and asynchronously. It could mean apps. And I'm curious, Jake, in your mind, does it also include when we play roll and rights through our Discord back and forth as if we were playing by mail? To me, I'm casting like a really wide net here for digital play, as in like playing a game via any digital medium. Um, and I think while you could also play asynchronous games in person, I, I mm-hmm. think you've mentioned before how you might just set up a game on your dining room table and, and take turns uh, throughout the day with your wife, Maya. Um, I am also just sort of thinking of asynchronous play as basically a digital format, too. Uh, I think that those two things kind of are, are tied together uh, as sort of a digital offering, because primarily digitally is how I've explored asynchronous play. And I think that is going to come up a lot sort of in this conversation of the way digital games have us thinking differently about games. Yeah, I definitely think that that will be really key. And I think we'll dedicate a big chunk of the discussion to breaking down the differences between asynchronous play and real-time play and what um, those different presentations, those different contexts of play do for how we think about games and how we make decisions in them. Before we get into that, though, which I think that'll really be a big chunk of our discussion, I thought maybe we could just talk to the listeners, Jake, about how we primarily play digital games. So do you want to kick us off? Sure. So primarily, I am playing asynchronous games on Board Game Arena and Yukata. Those are the two big platforms for me. And I like to have a lot of games going at once. So typically, I'll have about 20 to 30 games going simultaneously uh, on Yukata. And I really like that because it allows me to, whenever I need like a mental break uh, during the day, 
uh, at work or, or in the evening, I can click over there and it will like assuredly be my turn in a handful of games. Um, and, and that helps me to stay active and engaged with it, where I find if I'm only playing in one or two games, it's uh, harder for me to find the time and energy to kind of click over there and see if it's my turn because it's just disappointing when it's not. And that kind of creates a habit where it's like, okay, well, I'll stop checking. So to me, that is what makes it fun and keeps it going for me. Time out. You, okay, is there 20 or 30 games just on Yukata, or is that Yukata and Board Game Arena combined that you have 20 or 30 asynchronous games, roughly? That's that's the mean that you're shooting for, 20 or 30 games in your back pocket that you can pluck out whenever handy to, to feast on some games. You're really calling me out here. I, I have 23 active games on Yukata right now. Okay, and what about and, Board Game Arena? And Board Game Arena, I have clicking over... This is very scientific. Uh, 10 current tables. Wow. Okay. That's a lot of asynchronous games. Do you feel like that's sort of at the upper end at what you want? Or would you add more games on top of it? Or is that pretty good for you right now? That's pretty much the sweet spot for me. Yeah, it can, it can get a little overwhelming with more, but it also depends a lot if I'm playing a lot of games that I'm familiar with mm. or not. You know, if I, you know, I could have 10 games of Castles of Burgundy. I don't, but I could. Uh, and that is going to require about the same amount of mental bandwidth to click through and take turns since I'm so familiar with it as as having like a single instance of a game that is new to me where I'm sure. consulting the rule book uh, on every given turn to try and like understand what's happening. So there is like a little bit of balance there between games I'm familiar with and games that I'm exploring newly. And so for listeners who don't know, Yukata and Board Game Arena are fairly similar. I would say Board Game Arena is much more user friendly and I think has a slightly, Jake and I play a lot of games there asynchronously, but it is made for asynchronous or real time play. Yukata is primarily made for asynchronous play. If you're both playing at the same time, you can play games in real time, but it's not built with that in mind. Um, so one more question for you before I go into my sort of how I approach things, Jake. How often do you play real-time games on Board Game Arena? Almost never. Almost never. Okay. Occasionally I'll play, or occasionally I'll just happen to be like taking a bunch of turns back and forth with somebody, and it is like an accidental real-time experience. But it's very rare. Um, and I think, you know, that that just speaks a lot to my preferences, where if I have time to play a real-time game, like I would so much prefer, in most cases, to... Uh, to find time to play with somebody in person. I actually love those moments. And I feel like we should touch on that really quickly here uh, because it's so much contextualized to this episode. When you're playing an asynchronous game online with someone digitally and you both connect and you're both taking turns back and forth, it feels this like ships connecting in the night moment, right? Like the saying ships passing in the night, that's normally what you're doing asynchronously. But it's this nice like aesthetically pleasing moment of play in your life where you both just are there and you're doing it. I, I, there's like this, I don't know. I've had so many moments like that in the past few months since I really started playing games online that I just, it makes me happy in a way that I didn't realize it sort of would feel that like connection. It's cool. Yeah, it's nice. And then you might take two thirds of the turns in the game and then you're gone. <laughs> and I'm just like, sorry, random person, but I have to go back to work now. Totally. No, which is, yeah, that's good. That's the, the thing about async because it gives you that flexibility, which is great. Do you play any app implementations, Jake, or um, only in research for the show? Really? 
Yeah, pretty much only in research for the show. Uh, I, I have a few things on my phone now, like the Cartographer's app. I played that on a flight I had recently, and that was kind of nice to to revisit and play a few few games of that. But again, I feel like when I'm doing an app game on my phone, it's more of like a real-time experience, right? Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think that is where digital play, to get more into the meat of this episode, is a lot of times where like digital play starts to fall short and leave me wanting. So, you know, playing real time with other people is, is so reflective of the actual over the table experience, which I prefer. So that kind of turns me off to it. And I feel like when I'm doing a solo like app thing in real time, like I would almost in most cases, like rather play a video game, Mm. uh, which is just like a more like built out solo gaming experience. Uh, and, and I think like the one ca- sort of caveat to this is I, I haven't been doing it a lot recently, but there is a every once in a while I'll fire up the the Magic the Gathering arena, which is mm. uh, an interesting instance of digital play. And there it doesn't feel it doesn't leave me wanting as more. But I think that like these like dueling card game digital spaces are almost like a different beast unto themselves because that just brings in so much more of like uh, a competitive mindset yep star realms is another great example of like one of the apps that i will play is the star realm star realms app uh, after getting really into it for the show i I thought it i used to to pivot into sort of my background yeah i used to play a lot of app implementations of games i played a ton of splendor uh, a ton of star realms and sort of sporadically i would play app based games um, just to really dive into something new, maybe before work in the morning when I woke up or before going to bed. That was a pretty regular habit that I had. And ever since I started playing Board Game Arena and you caught a really when we started the show uh, about a little over a year ago and really dove into those platforms, they sort of replaced my app-based play. Um, when I'm sitting down and I have a few idle minutes, I don't feel the desire to dive into an app-based game unless I'm doing research for the show and covering something specifically on an app. Um, so I'll just pull up Board Game Arena or Yukata. I've really navigated more towards Board Game Arena since we started using it more. So I have fewer games on Yukata. And part of that is I think that we covered a lot of the games that we were most exciting to cover on Yukata. And I, I will go back to it when there's games that we want to explore. Uh, but be, Board Game Arena is a little easier to use on my phone. So I go there. I tend to have slightly fewer games, I think, than you do. I I average around between 8 and 10. Right now, I have five games of Tigris and Euphrates going and three games of Great Western Trail going. Uh, Sometimes I'll have play more than just two games. I'll have a bunch of different games going, but usually it's less than five different different games. Sometimes I'll have more iterations of each different game. Um, And I also, I play real-time games on Board Game Arena, I would say two or three times a week. Uh, sometimes I'll just pull up games of Seven Wonders or Patchwork or King Domino or the games that we're covering if I can find matches for them and just try to play some real-time games too. Uh, I've really gravitated towards Seven Wonders because it's so quick. It's a game that I can play and feel like I have this immediate decisions, uh, interesting decisions in like less than 10 minutes. So that's something I've been doing a lot of lately. So that's sort of my background with things. So what are the like situations that you find yourself in when you're like, I'm going to start playing real time games on board game arena. Is that like in the middle of the day? Is that like at night? It's usually at night or sometimes if I have a break in the middle of the day, I'll, I'll, and I know I have a set amount of time. I know I can get a game done. I'll go do that. But I think one of the reasons when maybe what you're getting at slightly is the nice thing about 
async play is it's so much it can fill up basically as much time as you have right if you have a spare five minutes okay quick i'll take these two turns i'll leave these three games unplayed and then go back to it which i it's interesting it almost like gives you this excuse to add more and more because you know that there's like this set amount and you can never push yourself further unlike with app-based play we're like okay i could just play this whole game and then when am i gonna stop i I don't know what if we pivot now into the sort of it it sounds like we're gonna have mostly a conversation about async play and then i'll I'll talk a little bit about real time and the sort of differences that i really feel but maybe into the sort of like implications of async and real-time play digitally i want to like defend I feel the need to defend asynchronous play uh, to people because it seems like when I look at the board game hobby and the board game community and the discussion I see online, people really look down on asynchronous play. Um, But I think like it can be really valuable for understanding and learning the ins and outs of the game. And I think the, one of the key things that make asynchronous play great is that like there is no ap at all like like analysis paralysis doesn't exist so you can spend as long as you want looking at a specific game state situation uh, and sometimes even like trying out different paths if the game allows you to do like an undo uh, which a lot of these implementations do have a way to sort of undo your turn so you can sort of play out your whole turn, see what that looks like, uh, and then maybe undo it and try it a different way uh, and sort of ex- really dive in and explore that decision space in a way that while you could do it at the table, it would be like incredibly aggravating to everybody else. If you're just like moving around a bunch of pieces and saying, wait a second, let me try this the other way. Actually, you know what? I will go back to that first way. I think that's the best after all. Like that just wouldn't happen at the table but async provides you that opportunity and i think like that is one of the most like time efficient ways that you could really get in and analyze and explore a game's decision space why do you feel like uh, at the beginning of that you said that you feel like the board game community looks down on asynchronous play why do you think that typically is like and or where have you sort of gotten that impression and like what's the stance that people who maybe thumb their nose at async play what do you feel like is the position they're coming at from it's hard. It's hard to characterize any single sure quote unquote everyone's yeah right yeah. So I don't want to do like sweeping uh, generalities, but I think it's just something I've seen in the comment a, a lot, like on Discord, on Reddit, uh, Board Game Geek, Facebook is like, oh, I don't really like async play, and and I think it also goes just generally to like digital implementations. But I think even more on the side of like not preferring to play things asynchronously, and I think part of that is like coming from this idea that like board games, the, the the comparative advantage that board games have over other forms of entertainment is that they are a tactile experience that you do at the table, not through screens. Uh, and you're sitting around with friends and connecting in this way that feels like going almost like back to like a better time, a better way of human connect- connection uh, than what we so frequently experience now. And now, you know, over the past two years, more than ever of interacting like over screens. Um, so I think like playing digitally on one hand, is just like contrary to that sort of like golden promise of board games to be this like tactile over the table experience. 
So I think a lot of people just say like, I would rather play a video game if I'm playing on a screen. I'll mm. just do a video game and I don't really care uh, for games at all. Um, and I think like playing asynchronously then is just like one step even further removed from that over the table experience to the point where it, it has like truly become something that's like, that's not board gaming to me. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there is this like, which is one of the things that drew me to tabletop games generally, this idea that like tabletop games are the the campfires of the 21st century, right? Like what we all circle around and like trade stories over and have that shared experience. But I think one of the things that I love about Isukunis play that you're calling out, Jake, too, is that while the social dynamics are sometimes minimized, they're still there. There's still a chat function. There are ways that we engage with one another. They're still experiencing someone else's approach through the, the shared play space, which especially with like online async play with real humans really separates it from like app based. I'm playing versus an AI. Like for me, it's so valuable knowing that there's someone else on the other side of the decision space. And that's so in, the decisions being made. And that's so important to me. But I, one thing I love about async play is that I think it does amplify the decision space of a game in terms of the flexibility that I have to approach it from the direction I want to mostly for reasons like you said, right? Like I don't feel the the same pressure at a table maybe to, to take my turns quickly that I would. So I can take more time. Sometimes I also admittedly might take my turns more quickly. If I have 10 games going on my phone, I might not give each decision quite the gravity of thought that I would if I was sitting around a table playing with someone directly with just playing hastier when I'm going through a bunch of games, which can be a different experience. So I think async play is sort of, there's these two sort of tensions between some games I spend, you know, maybe five minutes picking the knot of a specific decision, right? In a game of Tigris and Euphrates or something when it's a really tough decision. And other times I'm just like really quickly clicking through because uh, either the context of my play is such that that's what I'm doing or the decisions are obvious and I can just zip through them and I get this other sort of meta experience of all of my games of a specific game kind of washing over my brain, which I also like. They sort of let you take in the totality of an experience of a game in parallel. Like I never in my life would I sit down and play five games of Tigris and Euphrates in parallel. I, I, right. would, not, I would not choose to do that. It does not sound pleasant. It reminds me of like chess masters right yes, who will do like yeah. an exhibition where they play 30 games of chess against 30 different people all at the same time moving from chessboard to chessboard uh and you know what an interesting way for that person to like experience the game of chess uh and asynchronous play as i do it it almost like gives me the opportunity to experience that uh except for instead of playing 30 games of chess i'm playing five games of Castles of Burgundy, a game of Carcassonne, uh, you know, underwater cities, like a whole variety of board games. And it gives me that experience of like sort of sitting in that chair and taking move after move after move on all these boards. Uh, and it gives me like just a different perspective of what board games are in, in like the game. Like what are these puzzles? Um, and I think that's like a, a fun a fun seat to sit in. Totally. It's, I think it's so, I want to sort of make sure we really delve into this idea because it's, I think it's really important to how we think about games generally, which is that normally, you know, when you play games, your experience of them is linear, right? So if you have a, a really weird play early on, you have this random outlier game that pushes in the strange, strange direction, that's going to impact how you think about the game. And then every play after that 
if you're only playing the game physically, you're only playing one game at a time, you're filtering it through that lens and every play of that subsequent linear play of that game is impacting how you think about it. You're, you're taking in a given play and then filtering it through all of your past assumptions about a game. And it's just such a different thing to be making similar decisions in juxtaposed games and take all those games in at once in a way that sometimes playing asynchronously, I feel like I can get a better sense for a feel of a game if I can push in different directions in these different games and see what happens. And I'm juxtaposing those directly in a way that I wouldn't otherwise. Um, I don't know. I think that it's a really valuable tool in just thinking about games and exploring them. Yeah. And what you get here is like a parallel discussion of like game mastery. Mm, okay. Which I think is like fundamentally tied to playing games digitally. Like it just comes up so much quicker than playing games at the table. Um, because like you're having these learning experiences like so much faster in such quicker succession that you're like, going to just by virtue of play understand more probably about the decision space but also like it's the game is doing uh, a lot of this like bookkeeping for you so that if you want to if you have any interest you have all this data right in front of you that you can go back to and look at and say like wow this person i played against scored 180 points in this game that i've only ever you know broken you know been in the high 90s so i can if i wanted to that whole game log is right there i can go back and look at it and see uh what they did and that's going to probably unlock uh an understanding about the game that i may have never got to if all i ever did is you know play around the table with friends and family you know if if nobody sort of like unlocks that level then like that will stay sort of hidden away and I will be, you know, forever experiencing the decision space differently uh, than I will be now that I've had this like understanding of the potential scoring in the game unlocked by unlock online play. And that just like happens so much faster online. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that that takes us to that like discussion of like local meta versus global meta and how when you're playing physically, you're re- really just just by the nature of life, limited to who you can physically interact with. And you might interact if you played a, a specific game, maybe at a convention with a group of people that you didn't know or in a tournament with this sort of like more global meta. But otherwise, asynchronous play just gets you there or online digital play gets you there so much quicker. And I think also there have definitely been times in our episodes, Jake, where I feel like I'm really struggling with a game. Like I, I really enjoy it. I'm wanting to unlock it, but I don't know why I'm doing poorly. And going to Board Game Arena and looking at highly ranked players playing against each other and looking up their games and watching how they approach it, I feel like has been an invaluable tool and just like learning about how other people approach the game. King Domino comes to mind where like, I noticed people building out their boards in this way that I never would have approached if I hadn't have done that. Um, And it fundamentally changes the way I think about the game. So I think that's so cool. You get to benefit from that shared discovery. Yeah, it's interesting though, because like we could have a whole other discussion about whether or not that's a benefit at all. Mm. Um, And I think like just hearing you say that, like I can perceive a large portion of our listeners is like bouncing really hard off of that That idea, idea, right? Like why would you ever want to go look up top play? You know, why not? And, you know, in some cases, right? Because 
it's, it's it kind of comes back down to like where you find fun and yeah. I, you know a lot of people like are are these games more fun when you're playing at a high level against high level opponent or are they more fun when you're playing um for the joy of discovery for the joy of discovery or just at like a lower a lower level right your level one strategies against other people playing level one strategies and i really think that is something that definitely will vary person to person right yeah. some people just really value being good at the game and i think a lot of those people are naturally playing online because that's where you can a get better at the game faster and experience and play with more people who are uh you know, the best at the game in the whole world, all gathered into one place. Um, but I also think it varies game to game. Uh, so, like, for example, uh, Keyforge is a, an example of a game where I think is, like, less fun when mm. you're playing with the best decks in the world that people have, like, sought out and bought in auctions, and you're playing this, like, version of Keyforge uh, that's, like, fundamentally a different game uh, than when you're playing with sort of like decks that are in the middle of the bell curve. So that's sort of like a little bit different thing than individual ability. But I think that's like an example of a game that actually is like sort of less fun, at least for me, at the super, super uh, try hard level uh, where, you know, other games actually, like as you understand more about it, unlock like richer strategy, it might feel like a more fun, more rich gaming experience than the first time you tried it and and you didn't know what was possible in the system. I feel like Keyforge reminds me that we'd be remiss not to mention the like most basic digital implementation thing of like rules enforcement and how the onus put on you as a player when you're playing physically is that you have to enforce the rules as written as much as you want to experience the game as designed by the designer right that what is presented as play this way to experience this thing that's on you the onus is on you the player to do that um whereas digitally it's not on you it's it's on the computer and that fundamentally changes your experience with how you're engaging with the decision space in a real way um which i think also is partially maybe why some people bounce off the idea of digital play this way where they say like well you're not really engaging with the thing because you don't have the deep nuanced understanding that you might need to i would argue that that's not really true I'm still reading all the rule books of things that we're covering, but I do miss the physicality sometimes of interacting with specific objects and seeing how they play. That that sort of accompanies what I was saying with like the keeping of the stats. It's just like yep. a general bookkeeping that is offered um, by online play that has pros and cons. I, have you had the experience where if you're playing a game at the table and somebody has like an outlandishly high outlier score yeah and my even whether it's me or it's somebody else it's hard not to think like was something missed Mm. that enabled this like significant outlier or you know or maybe like there's some rule that was getting taken advantage in a way it wasn't supposed to work along the way especially in these like really complex games that have a ton of bookkeeping like underwater cities is a great example of one uh, where like the production phase can be really really uh fiddly i guess is the term that board gamers use where you're getting like you know 20 or 30 different like little cardboard resource squares and like getting one extra one right could fundamentally boost your score further than like the the game would allow yeah. uh otherwise so it's sort of like i one thing i love uh about 
playing games digitally is like I have like 100% confidence in the scores of every single person at the table. It's not the biggest thing in the world, like when I'm playing in person. Um, but when when you're trying to like think analytically uh, and like understand a game's decision space and the decisions and what's important in it, it like really matters to me to have those like th- that like concrete knowledge of this is exactly you know, what I've been able to achieve and seen other people achieve in a game. Yeah, no, definitely. I think even just when I'm playing board games with people in person, physically, there's, I'm usually the one who's teaching the game um, oftentimes. And I feel a real sense to make sure we are doing things right. So that uh, little uh, whisper in the back of my head of, are are we doing this right? Am I in for, am I teaching the rules correctly? Are we doing everything as the game should be is there? And that's just impacting how I experience physical games too, that fades away when I'm playing online. Cause I don't have to have that, uh, in running in my brain in parallel with play, right? I I'm not worrying about, is this happening how it should be? Um, so in, in that way, async play can be really freeing. But or digital play, I should say. I keep saying async because we play so many of our digital games asynchronously. One other way that sort of thing that gets involved that we've talked about some that I feel like we have to mention here specifically with async play, um, and then maybe we'll just talk briefly about real time play after is the importance of memory. How the in some ways asynchronous play because you're coming back to these games over and over again at seemingly just sporadic moments throughout your day uh it really emphasizes the importance of memory in a game where if you you can go back through the logs and maybe reconstruct things in games when they matter but tigris and euphrates is a game that we're all playing um in preparation for the show is one game that really wants you to have a sense for what tiles have come out what tiles are still in the pool of potential that you could draw who scored which points because then they if you're playing with the hidden information variant become hidden so it presumes that you're playing in a physical environment and it wants to test your memory in this way or at least if not test your memory have you have some vague sense of what's happened? And that can be tough when you have multiple games going on at once or if you're coming back and leaving and it's these micro bite-sized turns. Um, so in some ways, it acts digital async play acts as a filter for how important is memory in this game. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that speaks to the fact that like some games are better for asynchronous play and some games are worse, um, which is kind of a different conversation. Uh, but... Like, it does teach you something about the game, I think. It teaches you, yeah, I guess, like, what uh, importance that, like, short-term memory, like, holding things in your brain matters. I think it also teaches you, like, what game has fun turns. Mm. Uh, yep. and, and that doesn't really say anything about the quality of the game overall uh, because, you know, there can be a game uh, that has super, super quick turns where like micro turns, right? Where like nothing really happens in it, but because it's so quick and the game is short, it you still get like a full experience by the end of it. But those games aren't really going to play well asynchronously online. I think one of the ones that we've covered on this show that really suffered from that was uh, Raise Arcana, which mm. just has like this, like every turn is basically nothing happens compared to a game like uh castles of burgundy or underwater cities which i've already mentioned uh a, a lot of i think like the like midweight euro games typically uh fit in well in this category where it's like every single turn presents you with like a fun puzzle to like unpick and try and like maximize the value out of uh, so it's like fun to just look whenever your turn comes up in castles of burgundy it's fun to like 
look at it, think through it and decide on a meaningful option that's going to like, you know, give you, it gives you two choices. You're significantly uh, progressing your strategy every, every turn in the game. I, I think Arnak comes into play here a little bit. One, it's a terrible example of, I think overall the sort of like fulfilling turns is you can have really brief micro turns that kind of aren't super satisfying, but you can also have these sort of sprawling larger turns. But the thing about Arnak that works so well is that it's a puzzly Euro. And mm-hmm. I think puzzly Euros play really well asynchronously because you don't feel that social pressure to play at whatever rate the social contract at the table has suggested. So it kind of puts everyone on this even playing field of take as much time to solve the puzzle of your turn and the puzzle of the game as you want. So I love playing these sort of like Euro puzzly games asynchronously because I think it evens the playing field between people who can think more quickly or who are more comfortable with the puzzle and people who are less familiar with it. And that's just a really cool thing. Yeah, I think too, when we're thinking about, you know, what digital play teaches us is I think what you just said is a really important uh, thing to hone in on, which is basically the fact that like the game, the social contract almost just dissolves away completely, especially when you're playing asynchronously. And it's really distilled down like just to the objective of the game. You know, I mean, like, sure, like, don't like say mean things in chat. But that's not something you really have to like concern yourself with actively. in the game like you do every time you sit down and play a game in person like you the social contract has to be like taking up some some spot in your mind like i can't get away from the feeling like concerning myself with like are other people having fun here yeah Uh, you know and or like and and i want to help increase the fun other people are having and i you know will do that by you know making jokes cracking you know, making wisecracks at other people's expense. Uh, and, and sometimes that might fold into certainly sometimes even into the gameplay. If like an opportunity presents itself to do something uh, that, you know, maybe irrationally uh, is in some ways is, I think is going to really enjoy, increase the enjoyment of everyone at the table. I might, you know, succumb to that temptation and do that anyway. Uh when you would never really do anything besides like what you think is the optimal play when you're like so isolated looking at a game on your screen and taking a turn. Yeah. Um, So I think like the fact that the social contract dissolves away in Asinger is also something that like helps you to gain a clearer picture of like what this game actually is and the puzzle of the game. However, like, that comes with the the cost of like, it might play out differently at the table. Which is so interesting because one of the things we've talked about in the past so much is like, I love games that let you play the player and it's much harder to play the player digitally, but it's not impossible, but it allows you to read more into the, you can use the direct actions of players within the game and read into those as much or little as you want, because you don't have the information of someone, you know, sort of uh, placing down a tile nervously. You can't, you don't have that information when you're playing digitally. You don't see them. You can't interact with that. Where when you're playing in person, if someone's really unsure of making a move, maybe that gives you information about what's motivating that player, what's in their hand. Uh, even in like a classic, more pokery style play, again, going back to Tigers and Euphrates, I'm missing that aspect of play. So I'm grasping on certain decisions that our people are making and trying to better understand why they're making that decisions. Whereas in person, 
I might rely a little bit more on the social aspect of play to inform the decisions they're making. And I think that's really interesting too, is it sort of emphasizes that aspect for me because who I am and how I play games, I'm looking for ways to think about what my opponents are doing and why they're doing it. So I'm going to different wells when I'm playing digitally and trying to find them, even if they're not always there. In in real-time play too, uh, the more you play a game, the more you'll get a sense for the mindset a player's in. So Keyforge is one that comes to mind where Jake and I are big Keyforge fans. I've played a, way too many games of Keyforge online. And the if you've played enough games versus someone, uh, even in digital play, you can get a sense maybe for the brain state that they're in by the, the pace of play that they're playing in, the types of decisions that they're making. So I think that it, it starts to be there, but it's filtered through this slightly different lens. And again, it sort of prioritizes the information on the table, which when we're trying to unpack a decision space is, is really interesting because it really does kind of amplify it for better or worse. Yeah, that kind of gets this like idea of like playing the player, I think, is such a skill. Like when you think of poker, such a good example, right? Reading the table is like a like a psych is like using like psychology like can Mm -hmm. i read somebody's body language to give myself an advantage in the game obviously you can't do that when you're playing digitally online at all um so yeah and, and i think like that is something that i really love and one of the things that like got me hooked on like competitive magic gathering as a kid was like you could was like trying to like use things outside the game to like manipulate people into doing what I want. Like, you know, like you can do play, pretend like you have a counter spell in your hand by like, you know, Oh, like, should I play the spell? Oh, but then I have this like other, you know, like just like the way you are holding your cards, messing with your lands, like acting as if like you should cast this thing that costs this and deciding not to, uh, when you have two, you know, when you don't have that card in your hand at all, just to like uh, manipulate and, and confuse your opponent. I think it's like such a fun part of like, especially these like dueling card games that is 100% missing um, when you're playing digitally. And I guess I should say that a lot of people think that's like, you sh- shouldn't be part of the game at all based on <laughs> discussions I've had in, in, in on the sanctimonious uh, podcast. I remember talking about uh, these kind of like manipulative Jedi mind tricks that people pull off. And a lot of people are like, yeah, you should never do that. But I think it's 100% part of the game. What's so interesting too is at the beginning of that, you said it was outside the game. And I think that a lot of people, and you just said that it sort of is inside the game when you're playing in that context. And then digital Magic Arena there's not very much room to do this, but you actually can. Uh, there's certain timing windows for different phases in the game, and you can hold down the control key on your keyboard to to pretend, if you don't have something you could do in one of these windows, you can hold down the control key and pretend that you do so that your opponent doesn't know that you don't, which is a really interesting instance of a digital implementation pulling this in. Obviously, Board Game Arena or something like that when we're playing asynchronously doesn't have that. Um, So I, I feel like it's this interesting instance of digital play can, but it sort of like hones and and reduces the language and makes it, it gives you blunt objects. When in person, 
we have so many honed tools for communication. Um, Phrasing, body yeah. language. Like you're right, you're playing a blue deck, and every time they play a spell, you're like, "I'll allow it." Yeah, every <laughs> time. Though, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just like the subtle implication that like you could potentially not allow it if you so chose to. And even if Jake and I are playing digitally versus in person, right? There's there's just things where in knowing each other, there's just ways that I can maybe even not be speaking that show I'm valuing something more or less that, that you miss, which in some ways is cool, but it, it does change. I don't want to play modern art digitally. I'm not interested in doing that really um, for some reasons, which are in terms of my ability to evaluate things in an auction game. And also just the nature of playing auction games digitally isn't that great, which I think also just in the context of the show um, for people who are interested in sort of the getting under the hood i think digital play and because jake and i use it so much to do research for the show pushes us in covering certain games on the show which i think certainly impacts how jake and i think about games generally because the games we play are the games that inform our taste um yeah yeah it's really interesting i think that's probably for me the most important takeaway for at least our show and maybe listeners too which is that like when we when we get feedback about the show and even going back to those reviews we read at the top of the show a lot of times people say like i was looking for a podcast that is like more analytical about games Mm. as opposed to uh a lot of podcasts offering i mean that i love um like board game barrage would not be board game barrage if the hosts weren't playing games in person together yeah uh you know or, or had at least have like a, I, I guess i know one of the hosts recently moved away but you know like the, that like in-person game experience so much informs the way uh that they talk about games uh and and story tell about the games they've played like on the show where our show decision space would not be the more analytical show that it is if if we weren't playing games asynchronously uh, and and digitally, but do you know what I'm saying? Like no, it just absolutely. like it absolutely like informs the type of discussions that we're able to have and do have on this show when we're talking about games. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think yeah, that's yeah. No, another way that I think factors in too that I'll just mention of an example of this is that. One thing that you could, it's so, you, it's not that you never could, but it's so much more difficult to get in physical play is statistics about play. Um, so like how many times was a specific decision made or how many of a given resource did someone collect? You could sit there and while you're playing a game of broom service, track how many potions each player collected and etc. But the burden to do that is so high. And that also playing games on board game arena and then seeing the stats breakdown of how many wars did this player win in tigers and euphrates or how many um times did how much money did this person pay to other players in great western trail and how much money did this person get that really changes how you think about a game potentially that just isn't there where playing physically you have this vague sense it's this real uh, sort of like inverse kind of kind of thing that it it's cool yeah and it's interesting because like i think playing games and studying games uh digitally and asynchronously is also it like provides like sort of a a a framework that you then take into other games like i'm struck by our cascadia episode and the way that you and maya talked about 
Cascadia and, and the decision there, it it was using the same type of, you know, it didn't revert back to mm, the stories yeah. telling of like playing games at the table. It it felt very much like you were applying the same type of study as in a game that we played primarily digitally though i guess perhaps that's skewed by the fact that you actually just played it just as many times or more (laughs) than you would have in a digital format i have to tell you something we got to 93 plays yesterday oh my god yeah seven more and then what happens well we're really sad because then the score sheet runs out so I'm like scanning score sheets so I can print out Wait, like what? new sheets of score. Yeah, we're through the book. So <laughs> we're just, it's this exciting but sad moment, right? Where like we've, we've completely played through it. I think we'll keep playing, uh, obviously. It's but. so funny. I've like the, the scoring sheets in every board game that I own is like, it just, to me, it just reads as infinite. Like well, I, <laughs> You see that online a lot of times too, where people are like, well, you'll never go through all the score sheets in a game. Uh, and I think that there's, interestingly, there's games that we play digitally where we would have gone through the score sheet, but we didn't have the opportunity for to have that board game memory. There's no like achievement on board game arena that's like, you play through the score sheet. There should uh, be. That'd there be should awesome. Be. Yeah, there really should be. Because it is such a cool physical moment that I'm glad that we're going to get to experience together. It's like one of, yeah, it's like, it's like almost like a totem of like, wow, this was such a great investment. I yeah. feel the same way when I like open up a game and it's like, the cards are like worn, you know, it, a lot of people, right. Obviously go way out of their way to prevent that from happening. But for me, it just like gives me such like a warm and fuzzy feeling like, yeah, I've really had a lot of fun with this game. What a great investment. I've definitely had to uh, recover from the mindset that my game should look like I've never played them. Uh, Maya comes very much from the mindset of like, this should look like a piece of crap that we've like loved so much that it's decrepit. And, like the, the grosser it is, the more we've loved it. Uh, let's dump wine on it. So it shows how much we enjoy it. So <laughs> well, I, don't I, that far. <laughs> I've, I've, I don't know that she would either, but I've come around a little bit to it and, and really love that our cascadia like tokens even the wilderness tokens are looking worn and stuff it's interesting that we're like getting to this phrase of like physical physical in a game in an episode that's about what we've learned from digital play um but you know maybe that is sort of a a lesson in that these things these the games like it is meaningful when you've played a game so many times definitely Uh, and you can just achieve that so much easier online the ways in which online tries to reward you right like with the experience of that memorable memorable moment of like playing through a whole sheet of a game it's like there are achievements on board game arena or there is elo on yukata and board game arena that try to give you a rank that gives you this sense of progression and i think sometimes i I really love these systems given the competitive nature that i'm coming from but ultimately especially with the board games i've tried to turn off that part of my brain because it can really sap the enjoyment of experience i don't remember when i hit 300 elo uh, on seven wonders on board game arena but i do remember cool decisions that i've made in games digitally so i think the analog to of like hitting a milestone of hitting a certain ELL rank doesn't have the same impact as a cool milestone, like going through a score sheet, but I still remember the cool decisions that I make in games online or cool moments. So I think in that way, it emphasizes the play yet again, which is, which is cool. So on Yukata, there ha- they have a ranking up system that I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, and it's one of the things that keeps me 
playing games over there and, and games that I might otherwise have moved on from. Low key, it's why Jake has 30 games going right now. But absolutely. And, and yeah. I'll post in the in the Discord like, oh, I need players in like these specific games because and what Jake is saying is, show up, guys. I need to mop you all at these games. Yeah, it's like I don't even like La, La, Isla, but I need to play it because I need <laughs> to win it so that I can rank up. Okay, so I am currently at like rank, I don't know, something like 20. Each rank has different names to it. But what I need to do in order to advance is win 20 different types of games, which is an insanely large number of different games to rank up once. So it starts out like win one different game, one game, then two different games, then three different games, so on and so forth. So it really encourages you to, as you rank up, to go wide in the games you play. But it also requires you to have for me to rank up five games of true skill of 1100 plus, Mm. um, which is a pretty significant uh, number. And so in that instance, it's like saying to rank up, you have, it it really encourages like this sort of generalist board game approach that I super value because it wants you to go wide and deep into different games. Yeah, Um, that's really cool. And, and so like, I think that's really fun. There's, there's a couple other things like getting points, which you get from wins and, uh, beating different opponents uh, but yeah it's just so much fun and then I also like the fact that I can look at this list of things uh, a list of games I've played and see like oh wow I'm in the top five percent of players in nine different games or whatever and I mean I think it is, it's just something that like is very satisfying to me to look at and it also just like reflects like improvement and it, you know it's like feedback like yeah you're like getting better and learning about these games and the last thing i'll say about it is like you never know what number play of a game that your opinion might change on it yeah and so like there's a lot of games where even if we covered on this show and i thought it was like just okay but then i kept playing it because like now i know it so it has to go into my repertoire of games that i have to win every single time to rank up mm. um that like you know, I, we play it 12 times on the show, uh, and then I learned something new on the 18th play. Yeah. Um, most recently for me, it was playing Praga and sort of mm. pursuing. And, and one of the things that really frustrated both of us, I think, about the game was that it felt like the games played out very similarly. And I still think that's like a very fair uh, criticism of the game. But like recently, I tried a brand new strategy to me just because like I got a couple of upgrade tiles early that provided white windows, which helps you to get to the top of these like different scoring tracks. I'm like, what if I just like go all in on just getting white windows and getting to the top of both tracks? And I'd never tried that before and ended up being like a really successful strategy. I won the game with a respectable score and just like that little thing. It's like, okay, wait, there are more avenues to success in this game than I originally thought, which really improves my estimation of like the game as a whole. That's awesome. What are th- to close out, Jake? What are your top three favorite games right now to play asynchronously? So we're doing a race for the galaxy tournament on in our Discord. Uh, so I've been playing like five different race for the galaxy games simultaneously in that one. So I've, I've, that's been really fun so far. Um, so very much enjoying that. I'll throw one in. I really love 
playing El Grande asynchronously on the line. It's not, it's a game that it would be harder for me to find the time to play in person. So I just love that it creates the opportunity for me to play it online. So that's my number one. Nice. Okay. My second is Carpe Diem. That's one I just like constantly play, uh, constantly like to have a game or two going of on Yukata. And I think it's just like the perfect encapsulation of a game where, where it's like that puzzly Euro. Yep. Um, and it gives you the ability on each turn to make a satisfying decision and also do like forward planning, um, which, which really helps. I think my example for that is Keyflower, which I love playing on Board Game Arena because I can actually find people who want to play it with me. <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe the the last one that I've been really enjoying playing online is, let's go with, I think the Voyages of Marco Polo is, is another really fun one. And I think like the thing that keeps me coming back to that game, it's like, it feels like a game that like, for whatever reason, I still haven't like leveled up as much as I, as I typically do in games that I've played that much. Like the the puzzle, the core puzzle of it is is one that I'm I'm really struggling with to to crack and understand. But like I keep having fun, and like the fact that I'm losing and not you know able to to learn and improve makes me want to like keep trying. Yeah, that's awesome. My final one that I'm going to mention, I have others, but I don't want to spoil any upcoming episodes, is Dice Hospital, a game that I said I was really excited to explore in a mission planning episode that we did at the start of the year. And I have played it. I have explored it. And this is a game with really exciting turns, really big sweeping turns that I think, and the puzzly nature of the game, it just works really well for Ainsink play. So that's one that I'll mention. It's on Board Game Arena. Have a play. Uh, Awesome. I would conclude with saying, like, I think there is a ton of value in playing games and exploring them digitally. And I think that value extends, even though we talked a lot about kind of like getting better, I think that value extends beyond just improvement and to like an ability to explore the game at, you know, your own pace. Explore yep. the game in a way that you really just uh, playing on the table doesn't afford and there's like i think more joy in that at least to me and just sort of like understanding the games and how they work uh that goes beyond just getting better at the game so i really would encourage people to give this a try even if they think like no i'm not interested in digital play try asynchronous and my advice would be like to kind of jump in with both feet because i think if you just say i'm gonna play just one game asynchronously and see if i like it it's gonna be boring because of how long it takes to play out so i can kind of have to start out and just say like hey play three i'm gonna, I'm gonna play five yeah i was gonna I say ten but then you said three <laughs> so let's go with, let's go with three or five three or five to start um do 10 come on do 10, come on do, do 20 do 20 um <laughs> i think that i'm really excited that we had this idea of like that talking through this discussion that's brought up this idea of the non-linear experience of different plays of a game at once. I think that's an idea I'm going to keep noodling on. And I hope all of you do too. And I'd love to hear what thought this show has inspired from you. So if you'd like to engage with uh, Jake and I or other members, uh, people who listen to Decision Space and love games, you can find us on the Decision Space Discord, which we always link in our show notes. Discord is just a nice chat room that anyone can access from their browser and connect there. Jake and I are really active. We like to always greet new users and feel free to join even if you don't feel like you want to be active and you just want to see what's going on, see what's up. Check it out. 
And then also rate us and review us wherever you listen to the show. I know you can do that on Spotify now. You can give us some stars. So that would just mean a ton and help us continue to grow. If you'd also like to support the show uh, monetarily, Decision Space has a Patreon. You can find more info on that at decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon. It means so much to us that there's a growing group of people out there, listeners just like you, supporting Decision Space and showing us uh, that they they want more Decision Space to exist. Uh, it's awesome. And we're so thankful for all the support that we have there. You can find us on Twitter at decision spa jake you can also find at jake f-r-y-d and myself brendan hansen at burnside bh and i also we always want to thank hembry for their hit intro and outro song that we use reach out it's a total banger and you should just just listen to it not even starting or closing the episode just pull it up and bask in the wonderfulness that is reach out that sounds good so until next week thanks for listening thanks to all our new listeners we'll see you next week bye so now